Do I have to call you sir? No. Do I have to do I have to dress S- you as standard uh, attention? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this is uh this is, I'm really excited for this podcast. You are one of my best friends. You are a mentor. I've looked up to you for a lot of long time and you're rolling through town and I was like, dude, we gotta, we gotta sit down. So why don't, I'm going to give you a little intro, which I never do. I usually have everybody intro themselves, but I feel like I can intro you a little bit. And if I miss anything, let me know. So this is James Nash, captain, Marine Corps, two-time Purple Heart. I don't know if that's something to brag about. Yeah, it's complicated. (laughs) It is. They got you, but at the same time, I mean, dude, earning a Purple Heart is, I don't want to say badass in a way, and it's an honor, but I mean, dude, you served your country, you earned two of them, which I want to get in the way of how you earned them, which isn't normal. I don't think a lot of guys have that story. Um, You have a very successful podcast, which is the Six Ranch Podcast, which I listen to. I mean, you can turn my truck on right now and plug my phone. It's the first thing that pops up. You have Six Ranch Beef. Your family is one or the oldest operating family business in the state of Oregon, correct? Yeah, it's right in there. See, I, yeah. I got this. You're crushing us. What else do I know about you? You have, you grew up as a fishing guide. You fought wildland firefighter. You rafting guide. I mean, you're a jack of all trades. So, I mean, I don't even know where to start with you. I know we're kind of limited on time, but I we probably this could be a four hour podcast. Well, let's. I mean, I'm sure, want to start? I'm sure it won't be the, the last, but let's talk about Purple Hearts a little bit. Okay, so oh, first off, yeah. let's just jump right in the military. So you joined the yeah. Marines. What, why did you join the Marines? So I, I felt like I had a really good life growing up. Um, I grew up very poor, uh, as a lot of ranch kids do. Uh, but it, it was an incredible life where I had just massive, massive amounts of, of freedom. And I felt like I had to do something to to deserve that, to earn it, yeah. even though I'd, I'd already gotten it. And of course, you know, I see 9-11 happen. That influenced me a little bit. But the next year I did a foreign exchange to Norway and I lived in Norway for, for that year. Uh, I wrestled uh, while I was there, which was incredible. But I was also there when we invaded Iraq. So I got to see the perspective of the US going into conflict from the outside from a non-us right so like all the high school students in norway protested by not going to school you know as as if that's going to stop the united states military right right? yeah yeah, yeah. but i'd only ever come from a place where you unilaterally unilaterally supported the u.s military so it was important for me to get that perspective like well let's think about this what are we actually doing does this make sense um is this the right thing to do and then I look at Norway, and it's like, okay, if it weren't for American intervention into World War II, mm-hmm. you guys are speaking German right German. now, yeah. you know? And their, their grandparents who had fought that fight were still alive. Like, so this isn't even like generationally removed outside of front. living memory. It's still yep. there. Yep. So I was like, man, I've, I've got to do something. So I decided that I was, I was definitely going into the military if I, if I break down the service branches, you know, Army really w- wasn't an option for me. Um, you know, what I'd heard about the Army wasn't, wasn't good. A lot of the mentors that I had were Vietnam veterans where, you know, they'd seen so many casualties within the Army. Uh, it, it just like, no, I'm not going to do Army. Yep. So then what am I left with? Like Air Force, that's not it. No. Um, Coast Guard has plenty of appeal, but it's not military. Um, in the way that, that I think mm-hmm. about military. And, and then Navy, it's like, 
that you know that's not really it either. So the Marine Corps was was really going to be the only option. I did apply to all these different military academies, and I got into all of them as well, which was so you knew you wanted to go the officer route immediately. You weren't going enlisted. Well, I I knew that I wanted to go to college. Okay. That, that that was the next step. That had been pushed on me so hard. I drank that Kool Aid. Yep. You know, it made sense that 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 was the route. Um, so as far as like officer and enlisted, I really didn't even know what the difference in those roles were at that time, if I'm being honest. Yep. Uh, so I get into these academies. I had the lowest GPA that West Point had ever accepted. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 way to represent the Marine Corps. <laughs> I skipped so much school. Um, and then uh, I also got a rodeo scholarship to Montana. And I was like, dude, let's just do that. I'm so sick of dieting. Like, you know, that, that had just been killing me, dieting so hard for so long for wrestling. It's like, I'm going to go have fun. Like, it's, it's my time. Yep. So let's go rodeo in Montana, do some fly fishing, do some hunting, like, you know, live well. That was that was great. Uh, Montana was an awesome experience. I got a degree in literature and writing, and I still wanted to serve, so I went into a different route, which was OCC Officer Candidate Course, yep. and that's one of the OCSs. <clears throat> Ten week long course, over a sixty percent attrition rate. Um, a lot of people quit. A lot of people get injured. It's different from boot camp. After four weeks, you can go quit. You can bang on the hatch really? three times request permission to drop now are you getting pushed to the fleet or are you just go back to civilian life and- no you're gone like you you do not pass go you're not even in the marine corps yet at that point Protecting. okay so yeah. like my my uh entry of service date or whatever didn't start until the day that i commissioned right Got it. so it's okay. a 10-week long job interview Ugh. As a col- right out of right? college. Right out right? of college. You're just like, yeah, I could see a lot of people were like, uh, no, I'm immediately no. And most of these kids, that was their first job. Yeah. Like their first job in life was going to be an officer in the United States Marine Corps. Being in charge of a platoon full of just belligerent assholes. That's got to be a challenge in itself. Most of whom are older than you. Mm-hmm. Most of whom have more experience than you in, in, in life as well as the job. And some of these guys are going to be in their 30s. And you're like... 23, 24 years old. So this is an interesting perspective, a different angle on it, because I, I taught off, you know, one of my last jobs in Marine Corps, I was at a, an instructor for the heavies, the 5040 and the, obviously the Amtrak. And, you know, I was done my deployment. I'm some salty ass sergeant staff select and nobody's telling me anything. And then I get like 30 lieutenants that have been sitting at the 06 office or whatever doing paperwork and they it, it was always i mean i could now i've never had anybody explain it from the other side so this is very interesting because it's always just been me yeah. listed looking at some boot ass officer that's gonna come in here reinvent the wheel change everything and so we automatically have that every young officer has that stigma behind him like oh here we go here's another butter bar he's gonna what's he gonna change this time so i mean and it's hilarious that you're saying that to me because like I don't look at it like this is some kid out of college, went through the candidate school, made it, got commissioned, and then all of a sudden goes to the fleet. And they're like, here you go, sir. Like, figure it out technically in a way. I mean, there's obviously schools and things you're learning along the way. but Yeah. So you've got this 10-week long course. um, And there was one guy that made it through all that just brutality and elected not to commission. What? Yeah, which was I. Th- I think a great decision. Like oh, for sure. He, he made it. He showed that he could do it. He he finished his obligation to himself, and then decided that this wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. So admirable, right? Oh, for sure. Because I mean, who knows what he would have been as an officer? 
just hated life and made everybody's life yeah. miserable for four years. And and I love that that he didn't quit because mm-hmm. I'm sure he realized earlier like this isn't for me. Yeah. But I'm gonna finish this out anyways. Yeah. So um, I hope that guy's doing well. Can't remember his name, but I hope he's doing well. Godspeed. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna be a Marine. He's one of those. I was gonna join the Marine Corps. Yeah. I made it all the way. And everybody's like, Uh-oh. yeah. Probably nobody yeah. believes his story either. Yeah. He's one of those. So anyways, uh, from from there you go to a six month long course. So every Marine is a rifleman, right? Yep. Every Marine officer should be able to command a infantry platoon. Um, so you have a six-month-long course that teaches you how to be an infantry platoon commander, which is a, that's every a, officer, even if the, even the dude. It's the attorneys, um, it's the pilots, it's really? everybody. Every, everybody gets that baseline knowledge. And okay. six months long is that's a long course. During that time, you're competing against all these other officers for your job because there's only two guaranteed contracts, which is pilots and lawyers. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. So everybody else is competing to get their job. So I've got 600 guys who made it through college, made it through, you know, the attrition rates of of their officer candidate courses or whatever they did. Mm -hmm. Like, these are, like tough, tough guys that are really smart. All of them had way more expensive educations than me. And like, that's who I've got to go up against academically, um, with leadership and with physical fitness. There probably wasn't a lot of cowboys from, from Eastern Oregon. There's one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That were on this roster. Totally. Okay. Um, I was probably the only guy as well that had like paid his way through college. Oh, okay. And I know that because after we commissioned, they put us all in a big auditorium and they're like, who's got student loan debt? And everybody's like, and I'm like, no, I like, I jumped out of helicopters to fight wild land fire in the wilderness. Good for like, you though. I like, mean, that, yeah. that had to have felt good. You're like, finally, you're like, yeah, finally I got something up on all you. Yeah. <laughs> so then the dude on stage goes, your debt is forgiven. You're like, 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 do you realize what I had to do? <laughs> I literally killed myself, almost died just to pay this off, and all you yeah. assholes get to do it for free. But I still feel good about it. You know, yeah. I, I feel like it was the right way. Created um, some, some cool stories. So after that six months, you compete for your job. There's only two tank spots available. Did you want to go in the tanks? Oh yeah. So you joined, and you were like, "I'm gonna be, a, I'm gonna be mechanized," or not, not when I joined, but when I started this, <clears throat> the basic school, the six okay. month long course. I was like, "Yeah, tank tanks is where it's at." Like it's, it's a, it's a gunfighter job. I like vehicles. I like machines. Um, I don't know how they work, but I, I like using them yep. and you know, you're still a maneuver tankers, tank officers stand the tank their entire career. So there's never been a tanker general ever in the Marine Corps and never will be cause we don't have tanks anymore. Yep. So as a Lieutenant Colonel, you're still in a tank. Like you're, you're, you're in the fight your entire life. It's wild. Yeah. So so I go off to tank school. That's, before that, that's before like nine th- months long. Then I go to the fleet. So all these officers, right? There's yeah. 600 of them in this. Where do the low ranking ones go? Like the ones that the ship ship bags in a way in the officer world. Where do those guys go? Are those infantry units? No. So or is infantry like one that's looked after? Because I feel like as an if I went to officer route, like. I would love to lead a platoon infantry, some combat unit, right? So where do like the guys that slip through the crack of, of officer school, where do they go? Yeah. So, ch- so check it out. They have a really smart system to spread talent throughout the uh, MOSs okay. Okay. and they break it into thirds. So if you're the honor grad, the number one guy at school, you get your pick of the litter. Okay. Well, the honor grad always picks infantry, right? Oh, okay. Um, so Not then pilot. I feel like I'd go air if I was, you have to have one. a contract to do that. Okay, you're right. So it's over. Like you, you, 
because I started with a with an air contract for F-35s. They delayed me twice, and they didn't field the F-35 for a decade, so I'm yeah. glad I didn't wait. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll go fight it out for a ground contract. Um, so anyways, the honor grad gets that first pick. The second pick goes to the top of the middle third, right? Mm-hmm. So Third if, pick goes if, to the bottom. If, if there's 600 people in the <clears> class, <throat> then um, guy – you know, number 200 gets that second pick. Got it. Um, or guy number 400, and then 200 would be the one after that. Um, and it's a great way to spread talent out through all the jobs because all the jobs are important. Every oh, job sure. in the Marine Corps is important, but not every job in the Marine Corps is desirable, right? Yep. So if you had nothing but your your lower third guys uh, filling in on those on those jobs that nobody wanted – they're important jobs, so now they don't get done well. It's going to be miserable, right? yeah, supply. So it's super smart, super smart the way they did that. And then there's another side of it where, you know, this is how it goes on paper. There's also the real world where the, all the captains who are the platoon commanders of the officers go in there and say, no, like I know he's up for that. I know he wants <clears throat> wants logistics, but that's not what this guy's going to be. So you have everything going against you trying to get your dream job of going into the Marine Corps. Unless you are like a, a human version of a tank, which is very much what I was. Like I was a big like smash, go straight through it. Yep. Um, very, very bold and decisive in action. Um, I was all about tactics. I was all about maneuver. I was good with the ballistics. I was good with the logistics. So they're watching this like, all right, he, he's going to be a good mechanized. I do not believe that I rated like in the ranking to get tanks because yep. so many people wanted these two jobs. Yeah. I don't think I rated it. I think my captain went to bat for me and was like, no, this is what this guy's going to do. So after you graduate, <clears throat> you go to tank school, learn, obviously, yep. that. And you were in 29 Palms for that? Where was that? No, so that's at Fort Knox, Kentucky, and it's with the okay. Army. So you learn um, tanks, but you also learn uh, light armored uh, reconnaissance. So, you, Is like, this just for officers or is it enlisted too? Because I thought enlisted was... T- 29 Palms, or no? Is that just a, a unit out there? Um, there's a unit out there, okay. but the, the training goes on at Fort Knox. Uh, it, it moved to Fort Benning, and, of course, now okay. it doesn't exist. Tanks are going. But, yeah, I was out there for nine months, so this is another really long school, and um, I learned all about tanks. I learned about Bradleys and Strikers and all that jazz, and then the foot recon stuff I just thrived in. Um, you know, that was just hunting. You oh, yeah. know, I, I loved it. And Reading a compass, did you have to go old school with it, or you, or do you get you learn all the technology and no, everything? No, it, it was all old school. But okay. like we were even doing like snatch and grabs, and we had mount towns that were ongoing for you know weeks, weeks long campaigns, and um, it was really interesting. Oh shit! So you go, you get your school done, which I'm sure a nine month Marine Corps school. There's just so much cool, just just awesome things you get to do. Then you get what chosen for your fleet? Did yep. you did you want to stay East Coast or did you want to go West? Like what was your choice? There? I wanted to go West Coast. Like I'm a West Coast guy. I wanted yeah. to stay on the West Coast, and I was bummed when I got Lejeune. I would be too, dude. I got out of the Marine Corps because I got orders to Lejeune. I was next in line yeah. to go, and I was not. I literally that was one of my main deciding yeah. factors. Like, hey, you're next in line. You're in the you're in the the yeah. gauntlet for Lejeune, and I I slapped my paper. It was like not gonna happen. You know, I, I got this cool uh, apartment out on the beach on one of the Outer Banks Islands with a couple buddies. Uh, we had this really beautiful place to live. You could go fish off the beach every night. Nice. And it was about a 45-minute drive uh, away from, from base. So I had, like, that time and space separation. Mm-hmm. And 
I learned like the people of Eastern Carolina are really interesting. They're pirates, dude. They're oh, they're sure. all descended from pirates. Like that's where all the pirates retired. Yeah. That's all where the gold hunts are, and they're all still looking for pirate gold to this day. And totally, and finding it. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're pulling Blackbeard's cannons off the bottom of the ocean, like twenty miles away from where my house was. That's why there's so much history yeah. there. I lo- I mean, I'm from the East Coast originally, but I mean, I love obviously North, yeah. but I mean, I so much. History. I just ended up loving the people there so much and learning how to live there and enjoy those activities deal with hurricanes, deal with heat, deal with bugs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, by the time I left, uh, I couldn't like be happier to be done with the Marines, but I was brokenhearted to be leaving Eastern home. Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Everything comes home after a while. And yeah. even, if, even if it, at it's shittiest, yeah. it's, it just, your suck level evolves to it and then it just becomes norm. So, yeah. so you get stationed there. How long were you in the actual fleet before you got orders or were no, knew that you guys were deploying? Um, I, I got bounced around to a couple different companies and, uh, I got moved into the next deploying company. Um, and, uh, then, you know, you start like assembling your platoon. So the, the first platoon I had, I had a really abusive, um, gunnery sergeant as my platoon sergeant. Rightfully so. Yeah. But, but also like, I didn't come in there bold. I, I came in there humble and I was like, Hey, like, let's work together to figure out how to do this job. And he'd been burned by so many lieutenants oh, in the sure. past. Um, he was old. He was hurt. He just wanted to get out. And what year is it at this point? So the war has been going on for a while. Yeah. So this is like uh, 2010, 2011. Yeah. So he's there. crusty. He's gone through his cycle of. Yeah. His his medical book is like this thick. Mm-hmm. Um, he's know. just doing his time. And then here comes uh, Lieutenant just, Nash. Just, just another <laughs> lieutenant. And I was like, yep. man, I, I just want to learn so bad. And uh and that's not where he, he was at. Like he, he wasn't great at being a platoon sergeant. Um, and, and sometimes you have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my next platoon sergeant was a really good leader. He was great on the tanks. Um, he was a good mentor to me. He was, he was good about teaching me everything. Um, but he couldn't pass the PFT. Right. Uh, so then I'm, you know, I, I keep like trying to assemble my little my little dream team of yep. of, of tankers and mechanics <clears throat> and everything else, and uh, and eventually you make it and you get close to it. There's one exception, and this happens often on deployments. You get close to it, and they say, "Hey, you've got uh, you know 186 Marines deploying. Uh, you need to make that number 183." Like I don't know where the, where this comes from, but it happens all the time. Yep. So it came down to me. It's like, hey, you got to leave one of your boys. Um, well, I had a guy that during the rifle range, right before deployment had showed up late and drunk one morning. It's like you, you're gone. Right. So this dude also, and, uh, this is wild, man. Um, he'd been my driver for a little while and he was, he was dumb. He wasn't smart enough to do the job, but I thought that there was driver as a tank driver. Right. So I thought that there was something wrong with him and I actually sent him to the dock and I was like, Hey, check this guy out. I don't like know if wrong he's... mentally. Yeah. Okay. Like his IQ was just super, super low. Okay. Um, and it's like, you know, the, this isn't computing. He isn't getting it. Like maybe as a brain tumor, like <laughs> something along these lines, right? This bad, huh? Totally. Where was he, where was he? Was he from the South? I can't remember. I'm not saying everybody from the South before I get the emails, but every guy in the, our platoon that was that you were explaining, they're all from the yeah. South for some reason. I'm, and I'm not. Just... I can't even remember his name. Okay. Um, but, uh, but 
you know, this this kid also did some other dumb stuff. Like, he, you know, he met a stripper that he wanted to marry immediately. I counseled him that that was not a good decision. He did it anyways. Did he go buy a Mustang, a six-banger, for like 20% interest? <laughs> he, did, he didn't pull one of those, um, thank goodness. But he, he, was, he was that kind of Marine. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, but he did, like, meet a stripper and marry her. Uh, and dude left him behind on, on the deployment. About halfway through the deployment, we came back from a super gnarly mission where, like, a third of our unit was wounded and was getting medevaced. Um, first news we get when we get back is she'd found out that she was pregnant, told him he freaked out, killed her, killed himself. So like when I said there was something wrong with this guy and you went, were right then, went huh? through all the steps to like get him checked out, I was right. And everybody else was like unwilling to look at him more closely That's because wild. there was something wrong with him. Wow. Yeah. Dodge that one, huh? Kind of, but like. Who knows how, what combat would have done to him. He was still one of our boys, right? He, oh, for sure. He was still part of the platoon that we'd left behind. And uh, it, it was a weird feeling, especially after like all the chaos of that mission that we'd just been on to come home and like, there's this other piece of information. It's like, what do you even do with that? I'm surprised that even made it to you. You think like what you guys were going on. And this is Iraq or Afghan? Afghanistan. So you're in Afghan and you guys are out there hooking and jabbing damn near every day. And then they're calling back and being like, hey, private Schmuckatelli just offed himself and his pregnant stripper girlfriend. Dude, like the Lance Corporal Underground is strong. It's strong. It spans the continents. It's, I feel that I would compare the Lance, is anybody listening, the Lance Corporal Underground is, is the rumor mill is what we like to call it. And if you want to find it, and especially as like a staff NCO, I would go to my troops and be like, all right, What's what's going on? Like what's happening? And they would have everything. Dude, they know all of it. There's it's like a little spy network. It's like prison. Like these dudes are like, <laughs> you lock them in the barracks and they got rubber bands. And they're flicking little notes out around the doors. I mean, these dudes are flushing notes down. To- I mean, whatever it takes. The dude, the I swear. Lance Cup. <laughs> there, there'd be times that like, you know, I'm stuck out there waiting in formation too. I don't know what's going on, and they're yeah. looking at me like, hey, sir, what's going on? I'm like, well, you'll know when I know. And then I see, like, the lances squiggling around in the back. Mm-hmm. And I can go over there and be like, hey, what's up? And they're like, oh, the CO's going to be down here in 10. <laughs> like, <laughs> giving, we're getting ready to deploy. He's telling us we're going to Iraq. Yeah. You're like, what the hell? Right, <laughs> yeah, there's gear inspection tomorrow. Get ready now. Um, yeah, they're doing a CGI inspection. Everybody clear your rooms totally. out. Totally. <laughs> but, like, they know that stuff before I know Every that time. stuff. Like, it's Every time. Phenomenal. It is. I think, I think there's hidden jobs in the Marine Corps. <laughs> now, this is my tin hat theory on the military. There's a job where they lock dudes in a room. They just, all they do is learn how to secure the happiness. Mm. Control the weather. Control the weather and the underground. They're just, it's like, it's like, it's just like Congress now. There's little, these little bits of information get let out. It's like these, these conspiracy pages and then what's going on with our president, you know, the, this whole country. Q, you remember Q during like, uh, oh, yeah. That's what it is. It's the Lance Corporal Underground is a, a version yep. of Q where, hey, at this time, so-and-so is going to get – and it, 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 every time it yep. works. And so, I, dude, it's hilarious that the, the Lance Corporal rumor mill of what information is spread. And there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad that yep. goes on inside of there. I mean, you're hearing everything. And it's always – and it's you know what it comes down to? It's the key wives back in the rear. Probably. So that's the worst. Yeah. Worst. Okay. So you're, I want to fast forward to Afghan. Yeah. I want to kind of shift gears into that. So what, obviously, you know, I was a staff, a, a staff sergeant when I got out. So I had my platoon, but I was never 
obviously in the level, like you're, I'm caring about my vehicle and my section, right? right? Obviously we care about everybody, but that's my focus is my section, our missions, what we're doing, either mechanized or on the ground. But as a Lieutenant, I mean, I feel like there's so much pressure and what were you still pretty new on your first deployment? I mean, how long were you, where were you at this point? I was a first Lieutenant. Okay. Um, but I think I'd only been promoted to first lieutenant for a couple months. So you're, you're still cherry is like brand, brand new. And so pretty new. And it's also your first deployment, right? To Afghan. Right. I mean, it's not like you're doing a Mew where you're traveling and getting some experience under your belt before you're going straight to the sandbox. I mean, and the information isn't great because the Marines were the only tanks that ever operated in Afghanistan since, since the Soviet Soviet union. That didn't go over very well. There were still Soviet tanks that were dead on the battlefield that I was operating on, and there were old Mujahideen that would come up and tell me that they had been the ones to kill those tanks, right? What's that like? I mean, that's got to be an eerie feeling, knowing these dudes took out... It is, and they're, they're, they're looking at my tracks, and they're looking at my skirts, and they're you know mm-hmm. walking around, and it's like, I should just kill all of you. For sure. I should kill all of you right now on principle and because of what you're capable of doing to me in the future. Just the info that you have or that they know. But as far as like the responsibility of, of like being an officer in that role, it is complicated because you've got you've got some dudes who have deployed on tanks to Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, you have very limited information about what tank deployments to Afghanistan should be like. The information you have sucks. Yeah. Right. Um, they're telling you stuff like, oh, uh, you know, there's piles of rocks stacked next to IEDs. Like, well, like stacking rocks is like the national sport in Afghanistan. I mean, what else do you do? Sure. So, like, the information that you're confident in going there, once you get there and hit the ground, you're like, okay, I have to learn everything by Braille. Forget forget it all. Right. And this is, you know, my first time war fighting. Um, so, everything I have done leading up to this point is just, like, training. It's just academic knowledge and, and some muscle memory. So, you're depending upon your ability to leverage what you know about um, the way battles have been fought in the past, like throughout history, and then, you know, what your vehicles and what your Marines are capable of and how you can communicate and move around the battlefield. Um, you know, I had four tanks. I had a Mike 88 recovery vehicle. I had mechanics. I had a dock. I had all my Marines. Yep. <clears throat> and then occasionally I'd have to take on the whole the whole company if the skipper was off doing his thing. And Damn, dude, that's wild. Dude, it, it's a lot. The military people. I don't think civilians understand of how, I don't know how to explain it, wild the military actually is as far as nobody actually knows what the fuck is going on. Ever. Ever, but it somehow functions yep. by the pure grace of God. Like, I'll never, when we got to Iraq, I, I, we do our whole workups as mechanized. I'm a crew chief in a vehicle that floats in the water has two heavy machine guns on it and a crew with a bunch of ground. And we get there like, oh, hey, here's your squad. And now you're just going to be door kicking and, or patrolling. And I was like, I, I'm mechanized. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah, no, no walkie walkie. <laughs> no, I got a seven cube in the no, bag with no all my pokey bait in it. Yeah. I don't even have a pack. Yeah. Like, you know, we live out of a box. Yeah. You want me to do what? And But we made it work. Yeah. Right? And it, I feel like that the military, nobody ever has a clue what's going on. Even if you have a plan and the mission is planned out perfectly, everything just goes out the window, but it somehow works Yeah, every time. It, it, it blows my mind. It's, it's, it's through two things. One is people understand what the end state is. Mm-hmm. So this is what it needs to look like, and this is when it needs to look like that. And the other is willpower. Yep. And if you take 20 Marines and you give them the same task, 
they can destroy the entire planet. Oh, for sure. Like they can do anything. Yep. They can do absolutely anything. It is terrifying what 20 guys who all want to work together can, can do. get done. Imagine if this country did that, huh? You're wild. We do a lot. <laughs> but yeah, so, so, Afghan. so the, the responsibility is big. Um, you hit the ground, you rip in and, and out with, with, with the old platoon. And uh, man, I, I was laying in my rack and this platoon commander that I was replacing, and, and he, was a, he was a Mustang, he's an older guy, he came in. And I, was, I remember this distinctively. I was listening to uh, uh, Rooster by Alice in Chains. Okay. Like, great song, love that song. And uh, he was about to start prepping for patrol and wanted to, to show me things. And uh, he goes, shouldn't you be listening to, like, My Chemical Romance or some shit like that? I was <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Like, you tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. What do you listen to? I'm new here. <laughs> Turn that shit off. Like, I thought it was good. My bad. <laughs> don't be listening to Vietnam music in yeah, Afghanistan. Right? Yeah, times have changed, <laughs> sir. Yeah. Get your ass up. So how long were you in country before you guys were in it? Like, I mean, obviously there's a rip. And when we're talking about a rip, you're doing left seat, right seat with a unit that's leaving. You're yeah. taking over. You're literally have, you're riding next to their lieutenant or following their vehicles or walking you through the towns, the villages, telling you who's bad, who's good. After, I mean, how long was it before you were like, oh shit, we're in it. Like, this is, this is real. Three weeks in. Three weeks in? Three weeks in, we did our first named operation. Um, it's called Operation Lion's Den 4, I believe. It was, it was a dumb operation. It was basically like a go kick the hornet's nest thing. We went to an area called the Land of the Second Sons, which was like a really hostile and especially arid place within like a really hostile and arid mm -hmm. place altogether. And uh, it was where people had gone to settle who were not the firstborn. So it was like the dregs of Afghan society that had been shunned out to this. And of course, wow. they were really e easily radicalized. Mm -hmm. Well, they have nothing. They have nothing. So they're just out there slinging drugs as much as, as, much as they can. And uh, so we go out there with this recon unit. Um, the first night, take over this compound uh, that was abandoned, and it had Alexandrian architecture in it. Really? Now, for people that don't know what I'm talking about, that means that the mud that built the archways of this compound were done by a style created by Alexander the Great. That they're still using to this day? Or to this day? Or still standing. Still oh, standing. Shit. So I'm laying on my tank that night. Um, you know, it had been like 130 degrees that day it's cooled off a lot tonight there's so much dust in the sky you can't see a star we're like you know burning trash and holes in the ground i'm watching this fire flicker up through through mud that's curved and carved in a way that has been standing for i don't know thousands of years i'm like what the fuck am i doing here mm -hmm. this is crazy what's tomorrow going to be like um and like the next morning we go and find some IEDs. Um, I'm watching guys like watching me with binoculars or calling in on the radio. Like we're starting to get ideas. Taliban, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Sure. So which a lot of people don't understand, like we can listen that we are listening to all of the radio chatter, which is a really eerie feeling, especially when it starts chirping and, and then it gets, as you continue down that, it gets more and more Then your interpreter starts telling you like, Hey, this is what they're talking about. They know how many we have. I mean, that's, that's a scary feeling. I'm also watching a Congo line of people leave this valley. Like all the women and children are leaving and, and, and some oh, yeah. men. So it's like, if you're still here, you're here to do yeah, this. You're here to fight. Um, you know, we, we take some RPG fire. We take some sniper fire. Uh, I f 
I didn't hit any IDs. I, f I just found them. Um, so that was a, a win. Um, we go to this compound that we're supposed to take, and for whatever reason, the people in it tell us no, and we listen to that. It's like, oh, that's weird. I thought we were the Marine Corps. We go to the next one. They say no. We go to the next one. Like, we need a, a place to live for the day because we're going to start fighting for real. It was 150 <clears throat> degrees inside my tank. Gross. Right. My loader's going down hard with, with heat exhaustion. Yep. You almost can't drink water fast enough, and your water's 150 degrees, oh, 100%, too. 100%, dude. Oh, so that water's just burn, literally burning your mouth yep. to drink it, and you need to be drinking multiple gallons a day, yep. right? You're not even sweating at this point. You're just chugging water. You don't piss or dude, sweat. It's, it's that hot. It's, as hard as you can. Yep. Um, so you're drinking water that is uncomfortably hot. Um, you know, a lot of, like, shower water is, like, 130 degrees if it's pretty mm. hot. So 150 degrees. Um, anyways, we take over this compound. We kick the people out. We bust out some chow. And uh, I'm, I just got up to, like, go over to the tank to grab um, the radio to see about refuel because tanks are thirsty. They need gas. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got up, my gunner goes and sits where I was like a ha-ha-ha. I got the officer spot. Mortar impacts right in the middle of where all my Marines are sitting. Kills him instantly completely jacks up almost everybody else i get shrapnel on my back back of my head i get blown down in the dirt get up like the whole wait so wait 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 yeah so you're sitting there how many guys are sitting around you so it would have been uh seven i think so you're sitting in like a little school circle yeah and so you get up like as close as we're sitting here and you go to get up yeah i make it like a few steps and the guy that sat in your seat who is my gunner so you're like the the person that's like closest to me like in, well, in the mean, tank and it, in the world too which a lot of people li that are listening i feel that tanks tracks um any of the other ve wheeled vehicles mechanized vehicles we have a different bond because we live with these guys so like in a platoon you have your squads your sections all that stuff but like on these vehicles you know these guys on your vehicle in to a depth that probably their parents like i my my guys on my vehicle my best friends when we were they know my deepest darkest secrets and i know theirs like yeah. we're you're learning because you live with these people and you're you sleep you eat i mean i'm sure you hot racked it or there was times where you'd wake the guy up and he'd get out of his sleeping bag and i'd crawl in his sleeping bag it's still warm in the middle i mean people don't realize how cold it gets over there as well as it being hot and because it was a warm sleeping so you're you're sleeping in another dude's sleeping bag that he just crawled out of because he's got watch and now you get in i mean it's an intimate level like i mean you're you're physically close you're emotionally close like he'd had like he'd had his his first daughter like three four uh, weeks earlier yeah. so he got to know his daughter for just like a couple days but like you know where the tank commander sits over the gunner like my knees are right here um yeah, you're touching so like you're this the, like to say that you're close with this person like there's no way to overstate that the same as yeah. you know when i because oh, i drove for my lieutenant so it's funny that you know obviously and we always joke that you we you would either have loved me or hated me as as one of your troops but same thing. I mean, the troop commander would sit, I drove and the troop commander's knees are in my back. Right. You know? And so it's like, when we say like an intimate level, like you are forced yeah. to get, and if you, uh, thank God I was always fortunate enough to have a good crew. But anyway, so your gunner takes your seat. So he literally dies in my place. Damn dude. What was that? What was that? I mean, 
I mean, and this is this is right. I mean, you're a couple weeks in, and yeah, he's for, the only one that got killed. That. Only one that got killed. But you know, this this mortar hits right in the middle of everybody. Um, I'm I'm hurt. I have a bad brain injury, um, and and uh, yeah. So my mode goes into just like helping everybody, right? Um, that's that's kind of my default is to help people. So my uh, my wingman. He's got a broken leg, broken arm. I uh, I pull out his tourniquet, put it on his leg. I pull out my tourniquet, put it on his arm. Um, start going down the line. One of my other Marines had um, gotten a bunch of shrapnel in his forehead, and the front of his forehead was gone. Um, and you can see his his brain. Some of his brain was down in his eye. He's still conscious. He's still talking. Um, so that's when I thought, like, maybe I'm dead and I'm in hell right now. You know that that's really what I was thinking, but it's also like, well, here I am. I still have to like do whatever Stop the, the thing is to do, breathing kind of deal. you know? So I, I taped, uh, an MRE, um, a piece of MRE cardboard over his forehead to keep dust out of it. He lived as far as I know, he's still alive today. Have you reached out at all? Yeah. I've talked to him since, um, How's he doing? He, not good. He's hurt pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, he, he lived, and, you know, I that was something that I, like, really rested on is, like, a sense of, of security, f- like, throughout the deployment. And when I got back, one of my first things to do was go see him. And uh, I was like, man, I'm, I'm glad you're alive. And uh, you lose all your impulse control um, when you lose the frontal lobe of your brain. He was still incredibly intelligent. This guy had, like, a 140 IQ. Uh, and uh, he goes, I'm not. You know, he, he, he wanted to be dead. Yeah, man. Um, so I don't know how he's doing now, but he, and as a Lieutenant, I yeah. mean, this might be a kind of a personal question, but did you take that like personal, like that? I mean, could, is there anything that you felt? I mean, I'm sh- it's just human nature in a way. Then, you, then you add the leadership aspect to like, those are your guys. I mean, I mean, I, I look at my career and it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll kill for my crew. You know, yeah. I mean, because you're at, at that level, and then now you you just had seventy of your guys just get completely wrecked in one moment, including yourself. I mean, how does that rest on you for the as as a leader, as a lieutenant? How do you bottle that and continue the mission for the rest of your deployment, where it, it doesn't go away, right? So it, initially, I wasn't able to. Um, you know, I, I had two other guys who were really badly injured mm-hmm. out of that. Um, both of them lived, uh, and then I had two that were also sitting there who didn't get blast injuries, who didn't get shrapnel and didn't get PTSD from the event. Right. So there's things that happen in combat all the time that, uh, physics doesn't explain. Never. And I think that's where myths come from, like the Valkyrie myth, which I love, right? That there's, it's a Norwegian myth where a Valkyrie flies over the battlefield before the fight starts and decides who's going to die. And based on how well they fight, uh, they either go to hell or they go to the warrior's heaven afterwards. Um, and you could see how it's like, man, I, I just don't understand why he died and I didn't. It's like, well, the Valkyrie chose him and not me. So I, I can see where these myths come from because it is a really chaotic environment where you're not able to understand everything that's happening. But yeah, initially, man, uh, once we got people medevaced, I was good, man. I stayed solid until we got everybody medevaced. The only thing that I really did wrong is I didn't get in the fight. Um, I was so focused on just keeping these guys alive and doing medical stuff 
that uh, I didn't get in the tank and, and kill 150 people, right? Yeah. Um, which I, I like doctrinally should have done is like get in the tank and get in the fight. But just who, who I am, it's like these are my boys and I'm, I'm going to like try and keep them alive. For sure. Um, so that's what I did. And uh, I kept it together until we got everybody medevaced and on the plane and on the helicopter and the helicopter leaves. And then I fell to pieces. Um, Mentally, physically, I mean, just, uh, the adrenaline just, coming down. Um, yeah, man, I was crying. I didn't know what to do. Sure. I felt really lost. I felt um, like... You just lost to your first dude. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, yeah I, I just didn't know what to do. Um, and we got refueled. So now I've got, you know, four guys left, to, which is half of what you need mm-hmm. um, to operate the tanks. We get the tanks off the battlefield. I spent that night. I got checked out by the dock. I was throwing up. I, I was dizzy. I couldn't walk right. Like I was obviously jacked up. Um, and you know, had the beginnings of, you know, really serious amount of PTSD. Like sure. it's a traumatic event. Um, spent the night sleeping on the, uh, the front slope of the tank, not really sleeping. Uh, the next day we, we try and walk the tanks home. One of the trucks hits an IED, blows up another truck, like gets stuck. And there's this dude following me on a, on a moped and I can see a radio antenna every once in a while. And, uh, uh, I got in in the turret and slung the main gun around. It's like, I'm all out of senses of humor. Um, so moped, (laughs) you know, he turns around and leaves. Uh, but that guy was just tracking us to wait for an opportunity for an ambush, get back, get medevaced, spent like three weeks, um, in, in recovery, got my combat replacements. And, uh, I, I just, uh, I had the option of returning home. Um, you know, it, it was kind of one of those deals medically where it's like, you can go home right now and you can be done with this, or you can go back to your unit. And the, the Colonel who was in charge of the, the AO, he was like, you, you need to get back in the fight. I was like, cool. For sure. Yeah. And I knew the guy that was going to replace me wasn't going to do the job that, that I could with right? your men too, with my boys. Yeah. yeah. So I go back, continue the thing. Uh, that was in August. Uh, we do a pile more missions, you know, over 100 missions, which sound, I don't know if it sounds like a lot, but it is a lot. It's a lot, it's a lot of times to go outside the wire. Um, with, I mean, you got to think about it, and people don't, to put this in like some sort of perspective or, I mean, when you leave the wire, everybody wants you dead. Yeah. So it, it, even just, even if you're just going like on a QRF to pick something up or whatever, like, Every time you leave, I mean, I remember all the signs like complacency kills, lock and load, like yep. condition, whatever it was. And it reminded you like, hey, these motherfuckers want us dead every time we roll out of this wire. So a hundred, I mean, yes, it's, yeah. I mean, it's a hundred times where you're like, okay, is this the one? And that's stress alone. I mean, that's. Yeah. You, you know, so we'd go outside the wire, stop the tanks, make sure radios work, call back. Um, Final radio check. Yep. Everybody can talk to each other. Um, all weapons get armed, um, except for the main gun. I'd reach up and rack my 50 cal. I'd light a cigar, and away we'd go. Yep. And, uh, man, that's a pretty good feeling leaving. But there's also, like, as soon as you get out of eyeshot of the base, there's this crazy IED threat. And people don't think about what that means. So, like, imagine that you're in, you're in a dark room. You're in the corner. You can't see. You're barefoot. And you know that there's a thousand mouse traps in this room. 
Are you going to be able to walk across it? All right. A lot of people would be like, no, I'm just going to stay in the corner. Like, that's too scary. I don't want to snap my toes. What if when you hit one of those mousetraps, you and your buddies die horrifically, right? Let's say that that's the situation and you have to walk across that room twice a day, every day for months on months on end. Um, so that's a little bit what, what the IED scene is like, like it's constantly there and, um, it's just this big, this big sword of Damocles hanging over the top of your head all the time. Well, and you get these reminders too, cause every time you hit the road and you're traveling on hardball, if you're lucky enough to be traveling there, you're seeing these craters. Oh yeah. Just line the, and I mean, especially, I don't know how many bridges you guys crossed, but where we were in, in Iraq, you know, every so often there was a bridge and it was like right before and right after was just littered and you literally just it didn't one of those like where yeah. you hold your breath and just kind of tighten up and expect and wait for it because right. i mean you're just seeing i mean you're you basketball to i mean boulder size holes just before and after because they got you in a pinch point you yep. know so it's i mean it's it's real if you're not seeing it you're reminded by yeah just the destruction from ieds yeah that's so, pretty wild. Anyways, in October, we, uh, we ended up taking a place called Keshmesh Khan, uh, which the only reason I keep talking about it is uh, because it, it needs to end up in history books at some point. You think? It had turned back an entire Marine battalion. Um, really? And we went in there with 16 tanks and 30 Auss- Aussie commandos and took it. Um, and it was an incredible thing what we did. We, we, we destroyed 17 metric tons of heroin in a day. 17 metric tons of heroin in a day? So you just light it on fire with diesel or what? Yep. So how many lives did that save? For sure. Right? Thousands. For sure. Thousands of lives. That's unreal. But an Aussie got killed. Yeah. Um, and about a third of our guys got medevaced. And me and several others were, were wounded again. So that's when you, what was that mission called? Um, that was called Helm and Viper. So you received your second Purple Heart. Yeah. How did, what happened there? Walk us through that one. Man, that, so it was all in the retrograde. So we, we assaulted all the way into this position over course of days. Um, we performed a feint, which was like the, the, mm-hmm. the craziest little tactic. And I thought it was just razzle-dazzle. But we went to another location, set up at night, just took sniper fire nonstop, and then left in the dark. Um, and they moved all their forces down there. Uh, to that position. Uh, we uh, had PSYOPs play like tank sounds um, on speakers um, all night long, so it sounded like tanks were driving around in the desert. And uh, <laughs> then when when we attacked the other position, uh, we didn't have as, as much opposition. Because you're, you're doing the old bait and switch. Right. It's such a simple maneuver, uh, but it works. Mm-hmm. And uh, it worked then. And I, I didn't think it was a smart idea, but I was wrong. It worked great. Anyways, we assault this position, we do the thing, uh, this, this uh, um, Corporal, um, Corporal Scott, I believe his name was, um, was killed. He was the, the, the Australian commando, he got killed on like a tank-sized IED, which um, bothered me a lot for a long time. Um, but uh, yeah, that was tough. And then on the way back, um, and we just hit IED after IED after IED, and about half of our vehicles were destroyed, um, no longer able to function. Um, we're having the Army send up, like, all these extra recovery vehicles. The Army vehicles that got destroyed, they would just call in airstrikes on them and destroy them in place. Really? And, you know, the Marines don't do that, so no. we're bringing all of our broken shit home with us. 
and uh, so my tank is all jacked up and the turret can't even turn anymore um, and we stop because uh, rigs in front hit IEDs you know these billowing clouds of dust are going up into the stratosphere uh, and then another one comes up and you know you're not hearing it on the radio so you're like who's dead up there who's hurt up there like what's going on so I'm getting dragged by my recovery vehicle I'm sitting um, up in the turret and I look over in this Karez hole, this old aqueduct system that's in southern Afghanistan, and I see this tube start to come up out of the ground, and then a person, and then the tube levels, and uh, I, I, I'm just seeing all this like in, in slow motion kind of, and I was like, RPG, pull up my rifle, shoot once, hit him in the throat, kill him, goes down in the hole, and... Uh, the, my XO ended up like driving over and dropping a grenade in the hole. My gun jammed, you know, because it's an, it's an, you know, uh, dust just does bad things to semi-automatic guns. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that I, that I, uh, killed him on the first shot. Um, I was pretty lucky with five, five, six, but, um, but anyways, all those coyotes out there on the, dude, on the planes. Yeah. That was like. <laughs> That, that was like <clears throat> ranch style shooting. Like I've mm-hmm. got my elbows down on a vehicle. You don't want to mess with me kind of yeah. deal. Uh, but yeah, we just kept getting hit by IEDs. And as we went through this pass, we've, we've got a tank blown up. We've got a truck blown up. And um, my CO is driving in to get the Marines out of, out of there with his tank. He hits an IED right next to me. So all the blast comes out from underneath his tank, goes over me. Uh, about 20 minutes later, I get shot by a, by a recoilless rifle. What's a recoilless rifle? It's an anti-tank rocket that's like on this wheel-driven thing. Um, and the shot was like two miles long. It was an incredibly good shot. Like, what? Really did... proud of that guy. Um, I can't even be mad at that point. Yeah, it's like <laughs> phenomenal. Phenomenal shooting. Well played, sir. Yeah. Like, um, so I, I got a bunch of shrapnel on my back from that. And uh, then we, we hit just more munitions and stuff on the way and, home. I mean... When a tank goes down, it's not like you just hook. I mean, you, you could, depending on how down it is, if it's still got some tracks or road wheels on it, you could hook it up to another vehicle and tow. But, I mean, you only have 188, which is your recovery vehicle that has a yeah. giant crane on it that can, can that even lift? Or is that just more for turret or motor? Like how, it, it can lift, but, I mean, an armored up tank is like 76 tons, right? Because your guys' turret weighed as much as our whole vehicle, right. I believe. Well, yeah. I think our vehicles were like 22 tons or 27 tons. Sounds about right. Tons. I thought I'd read one time that like yeah. a, an abrams turret weighed as much as our amtrak's yeah i could be completely wrong but yeah which is wild because i mean the, the sheer mass of a ta- i mean a road wheel we had on my second appointment the tanks rode the same they had we call it the rat trail it was just a rat trail yep. through the desert it was like three feet deep i mean literally the bellies were dragging because yeah. these guys just and somebody got smart and put a giant tank mine with a bunch of arty rounds underneath it and they ended up blowing that and did the road, I mean, a road wheel, I don't even know, several, I would say at least 150 pounds, right? Yeah. Even just like a track section, it's like, oh, you're shit. You're, yeah. I mean, dude, I got a hernia. Yeah. I just got fixed not too long ago from lifting track. But when they hit it, I mean, we were finding road wheels and track blocks like hundreds yeah. of yards away. And I mean, the sprocket was 200. I mean, and you're talking chunks of metal that are hundreds of pounds that are bolted or yeah the 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 blast speed is really really high like you can have thirty thousand foot per second blast speed so like you know a really fast rifle is like three thousand feet per second right so 
Yeah, the, the energy transfers really quick. And that's what causes a lot of brain injuries is oh, you get sure. this blast wave that goes through your brain and it takes all the places where neurons um, line up and it shifts them a little bit, right? Just because you had this massive pressure wave go through you. So then you no longer have these neural connections to be able to make sense of shit. And it, it destroys all of your ability to, to use your mind. Um, War, you know, dude. dude, I was in, uh, yeah, I was in recovery for a long time there, but I did want to talk about Purple Heart specifically a little yeah. bit, because that's yeah. where we started. I know we're getting, getting close on it. The Purple Heart was the first military medal in the U.S., now, is it true, and I'm sure you have a lot of knowledge because yeah. you're just that guy that digs into everything. I was told years ago that the Purple Hearts are still giving out today were the ones that they had originally like purchased during World War II or something like that. They had like a prediction of certain, they're going to have a certain percentage of guys that were going to receive Purple Hearts and they had a surplus and they're still handing them out to this day. Is, that, is there? I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. There is some truth to that. There's also multiple companies that make them. Okay. Um, it's one of our more expensive metals, you know, it's like 40 something dollars. And when I got, when I went through my award ceremony to get my purple hearts, I got a, a purple heart that they pinned on me, um, with a gold store on it. Um, so you don't get two purple hearts. You get a purple heart gold star for second award. And, uh, and then they handed me two boxes and, uh, both boxes were empty. Um, so that's how cheap the Marine Corps is, right? Go figure, right? Yeah, Thanks classic. for your service and sacrifices. Here's two empty boxes. You get one, but we're, we're, we're tight. But the first ones, uh, G General George Washington uh, came up with the idea. He issued two Purple Hearts um, for military merit um, after the Revolutionary War. And they were cut out of felt. Um, really? And purple was the rarest dye color at the time because it came from like this crushed up um, snail. And it was a royal color that was only allowed to be used by the royal family. So this was, this was an FU to, um, to England to say, not only did we beat you, but we're going to take your color and we're going to award it to our best troops. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's a beautiful color. I mean. Yeah. So, so now it has George Washington's face on it. Um, and on the back it says for military merit. Yep. Damn, man. But for me, a lot of, uh, living purple heart, uh, recipients make jokes about it. Like they'll call it the enemy, you know, combat enemy marksmanship badge and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm guilty of joking about it too and be like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm such a slow learner that I had to get two purple hearts before I figured out how warfare is. But the reason that it's awkward for people who are alive and wear it is because we've also seen that get placed on top of a folded flag and handed to a widow or to a mother. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel right to, to, be, to be alive and wear the Medal of Dead Men. I can see that. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of it's got to be a little bit of an eerie feeling, especially. I mean, obviously, those those ceremonies and events are they're not fun, but then you're seeing medals that you earned being given to kids, mothers, fathers, things like family members. And it's got to, I mean, it's got to kind of hit home a little bit because it's close dude. I mean, you dodged too. I mean, dodged in a way where, I mean, you it had two opportunities. It makes you feel like a ghost. Yeah. It makes you feel like you're in a fraternity of dead men, uh, but somehow you're not with them. Wasn't your time, buddy. Yeah, God, I guess God not. had other plans for you. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna get to get me, keep at me out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> keep me out of trouble. And it, it, it does feel like that too. It feels like 
like, hey, you've got another chance. For sure. And uh, what are you going to do with it? You've done a lot of incredible things, man. Trying. A lot of incredible things. I'm trying. I'm always looking forward to what's next for you. Yeah. So, but you're you're headed out of town here. You're going on a duck hunt. We'll shift gears a little bit because yeah. we got to wrap this thing up. But yeah. this is going to be the first of many. I'm I'm excited. Yeah. I'm going to have you back because we I want to dig into Thank a lot you. more stuff. But uh, man, you uh, you're a fascinating person, James. I really look up to you, and I hope nothing but the success your podcast your family your new house everything you got going on so well congratulations on getting this show off the ground it's how been long have we been so talking? many years in the works uh and it, it's it's gonna crush um and it's it's a tremendous That's honor amazing. for me to to be a part of it and you're gonna you know, be the I, first podcast we launch with awesome so we've uh i was i was really hoping we can get some time on your passing through but um even though it's as a quick one I'd like to have got. There's some more things. Well, we're leaving a lot on the table for these guys. We still got to talk about your world record kill mm. with the tank. Well, you know where I live. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll talk some more we'll, later. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have yeah. to. But uh, I really appreciate you, buddy, and I hope you have a fun time on this trip and nothing but the best for you and, and then what the future holds. No. Real quick. Yeah. If there's any advice mm-hmm. that you can give to the veterans, people looking to join, active duty guys, what – because you obviously coming from the knowledge master himself, what would there be a piece of advice or just anybody just listening in general, like with life or what's going on in the world? I mean, is there anything that you can give to anybody that would maybe better their day? Uh, as soon as you realize that no one owes you anything and you are entitled to nothing and that it is a privilege, it is a, it is a privilege that will fill you up um, with the with the most positive energy and power possible, to be able to um, to serve other people as if they are owed, if as if they are owed, you know, your effort and your service and and your your love and patience and everything that you can give them. As soon as you realize that you can live your life like that, um, then everything is going to start getting better, not just for you but for everybody that you're trying to help as well. Oh yeah, man. I appreciate you, dude. Love you, buddy. Love you too, man. Thank you.